It's May 8th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. It's a podcast where, as a community, we take time to read through the one-year Bible together. And we are going to jump in today with today's reading in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Reading through 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, through chapter 4, verse 22. Now Eli was very old. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? Okay, let's pause uh, so we can kind of be caught up with the context of what's going on here. Eli is the priest, and you remember Samuel was introduced to us as a young boy Uh, His mother couldn't have a child, and she promised if she could have a child, she would dedicate her son to the Lord. Well, she has Samuel, and so she leaves Samuel with Eli. Um, She even makes him a cute little coat so that he can can be like the priest, and he's being raised up in the Lord. And Eli uh, really is connected to Samuel because his own sons uh, are are wicked. They're, They're not good priests. And so we're seeing a little bit more of that going on here. Eli the priest getting onto his sons who are supposed to be his successors, but they, they're just scoundrels, as the New Living Translation put it yesterday. So verse 23, Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Let's pause. Verse 25 is very important. It's like, if if you guys sin against a person, God can mediate. But if you sin against God, who can intercede? Like, who's going to stand in between you and God? And that really is a problem that the Old Testament is not able to answer. When you sin, when you miss the mark of what God would have for your life, you, you must understand, your sin always hurts people. At, at the best, it only hurts yourself. But usually when I sin, when I go off of God's path, it causes death for those around me also. But the, the big problem is that you are sinning against the holy God of the universe. You are saying, God, your way isn't the best way. I want to make myself God. You've made yourself an enemy against God. So who in the world could intercede between us and God? Well, Jesus Christ, who is God, comes to earth for that very purpose. He lives the righteous life you could not live. Uh, And then he dies uh, a death that you deserve to die. He took on the wrath of God. He interceded between you and God. In fact, the book of Hebrews says as much, that Jesus intercedes for us on our behalf in the throne room of God. That if you trust in him, you have now been counted righteous. You take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, through his death, he he defeated uh, sin and he defeated evil Uh, And he exhausted their powers, but he also, we must understand, took on the wrath of God and completely appeased that wrath. He paid the penalty, purifying you so that you might live as a kingdom citizen and giving you the future hope that just as he resurrected, new creation burst forth. So you too are a new creation burst forth and you await the day and we all await the day in which Jesus comes back and he sets everything to right. That is our future hope, my friends, that there will be a day in which complete new creation Uh, is restored, and there is life all around us. There is no sin, sickness, or death. So that question posed there by Eli is a very important question, and we must not take it for granted. Who can intercede? 
only the Lord himself, God, who would come in flesh. Uh, the second member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all distinct and yet one God. Uh, it's something you can't wrap your mind around. Jesus Christ, the second member of that Trinity, comes and lays down his life so that he might intercede for us between, uh, between us and a holy God. Really important. That's the gospel. That's the good news, my friends. Verse 26. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. One day a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. And I assigned sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family, so it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will rise, raise up a faithful priest, who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family, and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before me, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests, so we will have enough to eat. Chapter 3 Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel! Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever, because his sons are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, and then he got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. 
He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him, but Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Apek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of the God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shouts of joy were so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on? the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrews' slaves, just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh. Later that same day, he had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the Ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told him what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all this noise about? Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. And what happened, my son? Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed. And the Ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the Ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery when she heard that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead. She went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth. But before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means, Where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. 
She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. A lot going on in uh, that reading today. That concludes the Old Testament reading. A couple things I noticed. Um, I, I, was, I found it interesting in verse 20. Uh, it said that you know Samuel proved to be reliable, verse 19. And then in verse 20 it said, And then all of Israel knew Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. You know, As compared to people today who call themselves prophets, generally somebody who calls himself a prophet um, has a long line of prophecies that didn't come true. You know, the people who continuously say the world's coming to an end. Uh, and I find it interesting that in the Old Testament, you really had to prove yourself to become a prophet. Like, it, it took time. You wanted to prove that you were reliable. And not really in, in um, the tribe that I find myself in do we have that problem. Um, but I find it overall in in Christianity as a whole, it seems like we are way too quick to believe people who claim to be prophets. And I just find it interesting. Uh, that's not really how it works. And then uh, we have a lot going on in chapter 4 as the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of the Lord is, is is captured by the Philistines. Like you can imagine the, the devastation that that would mean for the Israelite people. And that'll be an interesting story uh, we get to continue reading on uh, about as we continue our journey through First Samuel in our reading through the one-year Bible. We'll pick that back up tomorrow. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 5, verse 24 through 47. I tell you the truth, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself. And he has granted the same life-giving power to his son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. Let's pause because I see something else there, kind of along the lines with prophets. A lot of times people um, in the church as a whole will look at miracles and uh, kind of think that they're just there for our sake. You know, we, we pray for a miracle for somebody to be healed or, you know, we, we um, you know, that, that's mainly where I see it is, is healings. Um, I don't see very many people trying to raise people from the dead, interestingly enough. Uh, most people are, are just, you know, they want to be healed and they pray for healings and they're praying for a miracle. And it almost seems to me like um, like it's mysterious to people as to why God would do it. Like if you have enough faith, 
then God does it to kind of reward your faith, and it's almost like a game. But we see here that's that's not why uh, miracles happened in Jesus' time, and it's not why they happen today. They happen so that you might believe in Jesus. See, God gave Jesus these miracles so that they might prove he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. And anytime God does anything special at all, the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way. Even today, it is not just for our selfish desires. It's so that people might believe Jesus is who he said he is, which I think is very interesting uh, because most people that I come into contact with don't see it that way. And yet, even Jesus' time, he didn't just heal for the sake of healing. He did it so that people might believe in him and um, be saved as kingdom citizens into the family of God. Verse 36, sorry, verse 37. And the father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So in other words, he's talking to the Pharisees, and that concludes our New Testament reading, by the way. Uh, He's talking to the Pharisees who know all about the Bible. Um, They they, they memorize the Torah, the first five books uh, in your Christian Bible. Uh, And yet uh, Jesus is saying, you don't get it, because those were designed to point to the one who would come, me, Jesus. And it's the same today. We can get so caught up on um, doctrine, and I find a lot of people, uh, and, and I'm tempted of it myself, you know, I can fall so in love with the academic side of reading the scriptures and arguing the finer points of doctrine that I can forget that the whole point of scripture is to point to Jesus, that I wouldn't put my trust in perfect doctrine, but I'd put my trust in Jesus. Now, doctrine is good. It should lead to, proper doctrine leads to more devotion and love for Jesus, but it can get out of whack when we kind of let our faith become more about what we know than who we know. Moving on to our proverb of the day, Proverbs chapter 14, 30, and 31. I should probably quit saying proverb of the day because it's almost always proverbs of the day. And today is no exception. We have two of them. Verse 30, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. That's a good one. Let me read that one more time. Verse 30, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Verse 31. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. And finally, we'll be praying through the 106th Psalm today, Psalm 106. I'll pray through it. Uh, I'd encourage you to do the same as the Lord might lead you. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Yes, Lord, thank you that your love is faithful through Jesus. God, that even when I mess up, uh, I do not have to carry the shame and the guilt. Uh, Lord, because you have died for that. Your love is like the sun. It rises anew every day, regardless of what I have done. 
you uh, love me. And Lord, you have made me pure in your sight so that I might pursue true godliness in life uh, without the weight or the yoke of the law on my shoulders. Verse 2. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? Oh, yes, Lord. Um, It is amazing how quickly I can forget the amazing things you've done in my life and the amazing things you've done in Scripture. Thank you for this verse to remind me to look back and to thank you for the amazing blessings that you've given me. And uh, as I think about those things, the only natural result is worship and praise. Verse 3. There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Yes, Lord, your your word and your law is not to be a yoke, but it is, um, Lord, it, it is a joy. It leads to the pathway of life. Uh, I pray that uh, your commands would be written on my heart so that they would be desires. They would be want-tos, not have-tos. Verse 4. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come near and rescue me. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. Thank you, Jesus, that through thank you through Jesus that I uh, I am able to share in the favor of your chosen people as a Gentile, no less, uh, living thousands of years after Jesus walks the earth because of his gospel, because of the way he invites me to trust and follow him, I am able to share in the glorious hope that is to come uh, for those who believe in in Christ. And thank you, Lord, that even now, uh, heaven is invading earth, and through your Holy Spirit, I get to experience a taste of that. I am continually amazed by how you bless me. Verse 6. Like our ancestors, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Even so, he saved them to defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. He commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. So he rescued them from their enemies and redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered their enemies. Not one of them survived. Then his people believed his promises and they sang his praise. Yes, Lord, I deserve uh, your wrath. I deserve the water to cover me. On my own, I'm an enemy. And yet, Lord, even so, you have loved me and given me grace. You've done for me what I could not do for myself, living the righteous life and dying the death I deserve to die so that I might be counted righteous and favored and forgiven uh, thanks to what you did on the cross and in your life and in your decisive resurrection. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for your spirit who empowers me for mission and godliness now. And thank you, Lord, for the future hope that you've given me as one day I know you will return not as a suffering servant, but as a glorious king, a redeeming king who will restore all things back to the way that they are supposed to be under one kingdom in which all tongues will bow and call Jesus as Lord. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for uh, a really uh, good reading today as we uh, continue through 1 Samuel and really enjoyed the New Testament and praying through the Psalms. Just a a good, good reading overall. Hope it encouraged your soul and your faith as it did mine. And I hope that you'll join me back here tomorrow for another day of reading through the Bible together.